Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment, but same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Light the Fight. As always, I'm your host, David Kozlowski, and as you can see, today is August 15th. Now, if you follow the podcast, you'll know August 15th, I've been talking about it for a few weeks, and I've been promising you some changes to the podcast where Growing up, this is basically Light the Fight 2.0, and a few of the changes are we're doing more video now, so if you do not follow us on YouTube and you visit YouTube, you, you like YouTube, go check us out on YouTube because we're going to be putting all these episodes now up on YouTube. We have some old episodes that Heidi and I have done throughout the years, but wasn't something we were doing consistently, and now it's going to change. We also have a new background studio that I'm excited about personally, just lots of memories behind me. Uh, important things that maybe I'll talk about in future episodes, but we have a new look, new logo, and we're off to a new school year. Since most of you are parents, either with teenagers, kids, or maybe you're a person that has younger kids and you want to get ahead of the situation by educating yourself with helpful information so that you're already prepared when your kids turn into older kids and then eventually preteens and then teenagers and also to young adults. So from now on, you can expect to be getting two episodes from Light the Fight every single week. On Mondays, we'll be dropping an episode that's educational, you know, just a basic episode like I'm about to deliver to you right now. And then on Wednesdays, you're going to begin an episode that's a little bit different. It's a kind of step into my office type of episode. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been doing this for longer than I can remember. I've been in mental health for 23 years now. So our Wednesday episodes are going to be a little bit more of me putting my arm around you and saying, hey, here's what you really need to do. So look for those on Wednesdays. Now for today, I'm going to give you a little PSA, a little back to school social media PSA to be exact. This PSA was inspired by a video I saw from a neuroscientist that I follow by the name of Andrew Huberman. Now, what I'm about to share with you right now is not information to solely scare you and shock you about all the dangers of social media, because I'm pretty sure if, unless you've been living under a rock, you're quite aware of many of the dangers and problematic things that can come from social media. And if you have kids that are on social media, I don't got to tell you nothing. You already get it. You're probably already fighting with them. They've already, you've probably had plenty of arguments, discussions, you know, I'm taking your phone, you're on it too much. Maybe you've grounded your kids. Maybe you've given them a gab phone and they're like, oh no, I went from iPhone 12 to a gab phone now. My life's going to be horrible. Whatever your situation is, if you got kids on social media or if you have kids that are wanting to get on social media, this information I'm going to share with you today is specifically for your situation and for your overall betterment. Because at the end of the day, what I tell all my clients is if you're unsure what to do in a situation with your kids, however you approach that situation, regardless what the situation is, keep one thought in mind. Always err on the side of the relationship if you're not quite sure how to approach them, how to talk to them. So this information I'm going to be giving you today about social media is going to give you an added boost of understanding about the background effects of social media on our bodies, on our brains, and that eventually lead into behaviors. Behaviors that are so strong and so compelling for your child that you may see them as if they're sick, unwell, and definitely dependent, or maybe even addicted. So I want to start off with talking to you a little bit about a neurochemical by the name of dopamine. That's right. If you've ever said, hey, that's dope, kind of where that comes from. Now, most people know dope as drugs. Well, guess what? Your body 
is the biggest producer of drugs in your life. That is right. The form of the drug it produces is called neurochemicals. The chemical I'm referring to, dopamine, is something I'm going to talk about just for a minute to help you understand how this chemical plays such a driving force in your kid's potential to become addicted or even have obsessive compulsive disorders when it comes to their cell phones, more specifically their social media use and activity. So let's start off with talking about dopamine. Dopamine is a drug. When and why do you produce dopamine? Well, when you're looking for something exciting, you start to feel the dopamine come through your body. Now, you may not know this, and this is not necessarily common information, but if a drug addict, for, let's say, for example, someone that's addicted to cocaine, that person does not get their first hit of dopamine when they take their first hit of cocaine. No, they start receiving the hits of dopamine to their body when they even think about it. That's right. If you're a drug user and you're thinking, oh man, I need some cocaine or I want some cocaine, uh, I got to call someone, I got to do something, as soon as you start the pursuit, that's when the dopamine starts to come. And the reason being is dopamine is a pursuit drug. It's the drug that makes you excited. You're looking for something. You're going after something. You're seeking for something. And when you find that thing, it doesn't stop there. In fact, when you find the thing that you're looking for, you're pleased, you're happy, but then you start to think about how you can get it again. So the reason why I'm using cocaine as an example to compare it to social media is because both do produce dopamine once we're seeking for those things. So for example, if your young teenager is on social media and you're seeing them scrolling and they find something and all of a sudden you see in the corner, they start laughing and chuckling, ha ha, and you're like, what's going on? Oh, I just saw the funniest TikTok video. Well, that video is not very long. They get the hit. Now, when you get a hit of dopamine, you don't go, oh my gosh, that felt so good. I've had enough. Totally fine. I'm going to go to bed now. Oh, no, 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 no. Doesn't work like that. Just like with cocaine. You don't get a hit of cocaine and go, oh my gosh, I'm good now. I found cocaine. I don't ever need to do it again. It's all I needed was to get a little bit of hit. No, that's not how it works because the hit doesn't last. So if it doesn't last and you come down from that and now your body's depleted, you're in a little bit of a withdrawal state, you start to think or you start to believe, oh my gosh, I need that hit again. So just like with cocaine, social media can do the same thing. Let's imagine your teenager posts a picture. This picture gets more likes, more comments, or maybe it's a TikTok video. It gets more people following them. It gets more of all the things that they're looking for that produces dopamine, the excitement of people like me. People are validating that what I did was good or my picture was good. When all that happens, they have a downward spiral. Shortly after, the hit's no longer there. The dopamine's no longer there. The excitement's no longer there. I've talked to plenty of teenagers when they tell me they're having a hard time. I go, really, what are you having a hard time with? I don't know. I don't know. Just like what, you know, on social media, you know, this person didn't like my comment or this person didn't like my picture. Let's use a picture. I go, really? They want like your picture? Well, let me see. And so they'll pull up their social media and I'll say, hey, would you mind if I look at your feed for a second? Just the pictures you've already posted. And they say, yeah. I said, you know, more importantly, why don't you pick the picture? that you've posted that has the most traction, more people have followed it or, or liked it and commented on it. So they'll show me that picture. But if there's one comment in that picture that's negative, a comment that's something that they didn't want to hear, they didn't quite understand, that can take away that high and that hit almost immediately. 
all those other likes, all that other stuff that they got from it, that one comment could cause them to be like, oh my gosh, I don't like that. I don't, that doesn't feel well. Or let's say nothing happens on that big picture. You know, they get lots of likes, they get lots of attention, they get lots of traffic. But then shortly after they're thinking, gosh, I, I, I need that again. So you can't post a second picture and get half the amount of likes or half the amount of comments and still feel as good. It's got to be more. It's got to be a little bit more than that. With every post, with every picture, you're seeking, how do I get more engagement? If you're a business, you're definitely like, how do we get more people to like this? How do we curate the picture? How do we curate the scene or the video or the story in a way that people are going to be engaged? But that constant pursuit produces constant dopamine. Your bodies can't produce that much dopamine that fast all the time. You're going to have some downward spirals. You're going to fall apart mentally and emotionally if you're seeking, or as I like to call, chasing the tail of that dragon. So as this process happens, it becomes this roller coaster ride of highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying this is going to happen to everybody in a way that it's going to cause them to become addicted or cause them to have some sort of OCD with social media, but there is highs and lows. If it were to continue for long periods of time, it were if it were to become something that they focused on solely and they weren't um, engaged in activities, if they weren't engaged in social relationships, if they didn't have jobs and other things to do, then yes, it could become very problematic. So I don't necessarily want to make social media the evil thing that it can be for some people in some situations, but I just want to let you know what's going on in the background that isn't seen when your kids are on social media. Now, this type of language about dopamine and about being addicted to social media or the potential that social media has to cause someone to be addicted or to develop OCD type behaviors or even the disorder this conversation might be something that you're familiar with. You might have heard things like this, specifically if you watched the movie or the documentary called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. If you have not watched that, I suggest you do. It's a great documentary. To, to my knowledge, it's one of the, the highest viewed documentaries on Netflix. And it specifically talks about the dangers of social media coming from the people who created the platforms. Many people, uh, not necessarily whistleblowers on the companies they used to work for because they don't work for them anymore, but they felt the need to come out and talk about the things that had evolved in the algorithms and on the platforms that they'd never intended. Many of them were feeling horrible about the products and about the tools that they'd created. And so they wanted to share with the world some things that they knew, probably clearly conscious, but most likely to help because they didn't want to hurt people when they developed these tools. They wanted to help people stay connected. Well, when I'm teaching high school, when I'm counseling the kids that I work with, I always tell them the goal is to be smarter than your smartphone. So if you watch a Social Dilemma movie, they talk about the comparison of cell phones, specifically the social media apps and their algorithms being comparable to playing slot machines in Las Vegas. The reason why it's comparable to slot machines in Las Vegas is because they have similar effects on our brain. So for example, if someone pulls a slot machine, there's no guarantee that they're going to win on the very first pool. In fact, I would imagine if someone was you know, an avid slot machine player, that probably doesn't happen that often. Yeah, maybe occasionally they get lucky, but it doesn't. But eventually, they're going to hit some sort of jackpot, maybe not the big one, but they're going to win something. Once they win something, their brain says, hey, you know what? That felt really good. Why don't you pursue that feeling again? And the high comes not from winning by every time you pull, but by the chance that maybe you could win if you pull a slot machine. 
Well, what would be will, what would be a win for a teenager or a child or a young person when it comes to social media? What would be the equivalent of them pulling the slot machine and them getting a win? Well, pulling the slot machine is as simple as this. Flipping their phone on. The win could be as simple as someone tagged them in something. Someone shared something with them. Someone liked something that they produced, a picture, a video, what have you. People followed them, so on and so forth. That is the win. Now, do they get a win every single time they scroll to the next picture? Do they get a win every single time that they open up their phone? Of course not. But the chance that they maybe, they might, they possibly could get a win creates this cycle of I got to seek it out. I got to go after it, hence creating more dopamine. So like I said, if this information sounds familiar because you watched a Netflix documentary, I'm glad and this can be a helpful reminder. However, one of the things that the Netflix documentary did not provide were real life solutions to this problem. How to prevent your kids from getting hooked on social media, how to understand what to do with this knowledge and information, and how to apply that from a parent's perspective to help your kids without ruining your relationship. For some of you listening to this and watching this, your kids may be full-blown addicts and you see it and you can't stop it, but it does create lots of contention and uncomfortable conversations or maybe arguments and disciplinary actions in your home. For other people, you're fearful of this happening and you're listening to me and I'm giving you anxiety right now. <laughs> Not dopamine, you're freaking out right now because this is your worst fear. So to make this simple, I'm going to give you a suggestion of something very simple that you have control of. Now, when you hear me say this, take a step back and listen to what I'm saying, because I may say some things in this next part that might be a little close to home, meaning what I'm about to say, you may be guilty of. But my intention here is to not make you feel like a bad parent. My intention is just to state what tends to happen from my experience working with families in private counseling and also from talking to teenagers, because in my class, we talk a lot about social media. And I get a lot of information from teenagers about their parents having serious issues with social media. And some kids saying my parent, or at least one of my parents, is heavily addicted or having those OCD type of behaviors themselves. When you're a parent and you watch a child that you love, that you would do anything for to protect them from all the evils and all the bad things out in the world, and you watch them slowly drift in to the swiping, scrolling, uh, monotony of staring at their phone over and over for hours and hours and engaging on social media, it can be kind of sad. It can be aggravating. It can be disheartening. You can have a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of worries from that. And there's a good reason for this. Dr. Huberman stated a very good analogy that I never thought of before. He said, if you were watching some animals in the wilderness, and let's say you just see this random animal in the corner, like just the corner of some wall, right? There's no reason for them to be in the corner of this wall and there's no reason for them to be staring at the ground. And then all of a sudden you watch them stare at the ground and just start digging aimlessly. They're not an animal that digs. They're not an animal that has a need to do that at that particular moment, but they're just digging aimlessly over and over and over and over again. You'd most likely look at that animal like something's wrong with them. They must be sick. It must be broken or something traumatic must happen to this, this animal. Their brain's not online. Why would they just endlessly be doing that same thing? Well, that is what I believe and what Dr. Huberman stated in this video. We feel like when we're watching our loved ones 
endlessly scroll over and over again. So it's going to cause worry. It's going to cause concern. But there's something that you can do. And the thing that you can do is you can make sure that you practice what you've been trying to preach to them instead of just preaching all the things that you want them to practice. It's helpful to model the behavior to your child that you would like them to show you. So for example, a lot of you parents listening to this may be guilty of endless scrolling yourself. Now, you may tell yourself it's for work, which it may be. You may tell yourself, oh, well, I, I don't look at, you know, the stupid social media they do. You know, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on this and that. I just like to look at recipes on, on you know, Pinterest or, you know, pictures of my friends on Instagram or check on some feeds on, on you know, Twitter. It's just for news and stuff like that. The time adds up. If you're a parent that spends a lot of time on your phone and on social media, then unknowingly you have modeled for your child that that is an acceptable behavior. But as you see your child get into those behaviors, or if you want to protect your child from all the negative effects of social media before they get on it, you're going to lecture them. You're going to preach them. You're going to tell them all the things that they shouldn't do. But what you're not going to do from my experience is you're not going to be a good enforcer of that behavior. Because how hypocritical would it be for you to be on your phone all day long and then turn your, to your kid and say, you need to get off your phone. Whether your kids say it or not, you kind of know you're not the best example of not being on your phone. A lot of arguments have happened throughout the years with my clients. Um, I, like I said, um, um, if you don't know this about me, I'm also a high school teacher. I teach a curriculum that I created called the Social Health Curriculum. And it's a curriculum that specifically help kids build relationships as a fundamental way to help them improve their mental and emotional well-being. Well, in this curriculum, we talk specifically about parent and teenagers having these disputes and having these conversations and potential arguments. One of the biggest complaints that teenagers will tell me is that I have a hard time listening to my parent tell me not to do something that they struggle with, but yet they will not admit that they struggle with it. Or if they do admit that they struggle with it, it has a lot, they have a lot of excuses. Like I said before, it's for work or for some various reasons. And because the parent's intention is not to be obsessed with their social media, because their intention isn't to be a bad example, that somehow the teenager is supposed to go, oh, it's really bad for me. I should stop doing it, even though you're doing it quite frequently yourself. Well, if you listening to this are that parents, or maybe you have a partner, or maybe maybe you don't do it that much anymore, and you think, oh, well, I'm not, you know, on my phone that much anymore. I make a I've made a really great effort to not do that anymore. I still want you to try what I'm about to tell you. And what I'm about to tell you is something that will at least cause your kids to respect you and to be curious and to pay more attention to what you're doing. I would like you to go to your kids and instead of telling them, all the fears and all the worries and all the issues with dopamine and you know you becoming addicted and obsessed with it, all those things, that information or that approach to telling them about this information is not the move. What I want you to do is I want you to go to them and say, hey, listen, I know I've not always been the best example of what I'm about to tell you. I know that I struggle being on my phone and I know that I'm guilty of being a hypocrite. I, I have done just the opposite of things that I want you to do at times. Now, real quick, time out. Do not worry if you're sitting here going, oh, my kids are going to use this against me. You know, then, then you know, now they're not going to take me serious. That's not the case. You will get their attention because now they're curious. 
If this is something that is not in your character and your personality or not the typical approach you've ever done before, or if you've done this before, kind of like what I'm saying, because a lot of times parents tell me, oh, I've done that. Turns out they haven't done it with the intention of, I'm trying to talk to you by saying, hey, I'm flawed too. I'm not going to lecture you before I confess to you. So in this situation, you tell your kids something along those lines, like I'm guilty as charged. I've done this. I've done that. So I've decided instead of being on your case all the time and saying, get off your phone, you know, that's going to fry your brain or that's going to make you stupid or you're going to be this, that a lot of parents use insults or even not, not necessarily worse than insults, but they use passive aggressive ways too. Like, like, uh, where they'll say things like, oh yeah, good luck getting a job. If you're always on your phone, the sarcasm, these can be very demeaning to kids can really affect the relationship in all the worst ways. It can make your kid think that not only are you a hypocrite, you're talking trash to them. You're being condescending. You're talking down to them. So instead take the approach. I know I've done this too whether you do it currently, whether you've done it in the past, or maybe if you don't feel it's that bad, you know, your usage, you just want to simply state, I am not free of having these struggles. I know lots of people have these struggles and I'm not talking to you about your social media use or want you to curb it or want you to look at it differently simply because I want to control your life and I don't think you're capable of controlling your usage. I want to do it because I want to protect you from the one thing that everyone struggles with in today's world drifting. Now your kid may look at you like drifting. That may not be the word that they expected to come out of your mouth. And then you explain to them what drifting means. Tell them something like this. Drifting is not drowning, but it has no direction, has no purpose, has no start time, has no stop time. When a piece of wood just drifts out in the ocean aimlessly, doesn't know where it's going to end up. It's just hoping it doesn't end up somewhere bad. So if you tell your kids, I'm not going to protect you from all these dangers and horrible things that could potentially possibly someday happen because they can argue back, say, no, it's not, or this isn't that, or that's not that bad. Just say, I don't want you to drift. I don't want you to be at the end of a quarter with 30 makeup assignments and you're stressed out having anxiety and then I'm getting anxiety and then we start to fight. Let's learn from last year's mistakes. Let's learn from past experiences and let's do something different. So from now on, I'm going to be a better example of my cell phone usage to you. A lot of people will have workout partners if they want to get in shape. Why is that? Accountability. Do you want to be a partner with your teenager and your kid that's going through these things? Or do you simply want to be the person that tells them they're good, they're bad, stop it, don't do that, or do more of something? You don't want to be that person as they get older. You want to be a partner. You want them to open up and talk to you about their struggles. You want the relationship to be so solid that your kid can actually come and confess to you. You know, I screwed up last night. I was on my phone all night long. I blew it. And now I, I'm going to turn in my project late. I'm going to get a bad grade. I just want to give you a heads up, but I take full responsibility for it. The only way your kid can do something like that is if you don't freak out. If you're not lecturing them, if you're wondering why I'm suggesting you take what I call a partnership approach as opposed to a parenting approach, because when you're in a beneficial relationship, a mutually beneficial relationship, I should add, with your teenager, and they can come and talk to you about their struggles, and you don't freak out, your body produces my favorite chemical, oxytocin. That's the connection chemical. 
Now, I won't get into too much in the weeds and the depths about oxytocin. Maybe I'll do that in a different episode. But what oxytocin does is it makes you feel good. It makes you feel comforted. It makes you feel secure. In fact, there's a lot of studies. I, I believe it's uh, the University of Madison, Wisconsin, that they do about that they're do, that they've been working on about oxytocin, and they found out in their studies that oxytocin has a lot of similar characteristics to serotonin. It can be comforting. It relieves anxiety. It makes you feel that you're safe, you're protected, you feel connected. So, parents that are listening to this, I want you to access that chemical. I want you to establish partnership language with your teenager, your kid. This is probably more for people out there that already have teenagers who are on social media. But if your teenager isn't on social media, you should start partnership conversations with your teenager before they even get social media. Start the conversation by going to them about uh, things like, hey, when do you think you should be on social media? Let's, let's look up some facts about social media online. Let's look up some things that how it affects your brain. Before they get on social media, if you start that partnership conversation, you're not saying, no, I will not let you on social media because it's going to fry your brain. You're saying, hey, this is a good conversation. Let's talk about it because eventually you'll be on social media if you choose to someday, if that's something you want. But before you do, let's talk about when do you think would be the right age for you. If you have kids that have younger siblings, like I asked my sophomores in high school all the time, I said, how many of your younger siblings, nine, 10 years old, would you want on Instagram or would you want on TikTok? They all say none. Like none of them want it. I say, okay, how many of you on those apps? They all raise their hand. So just because for themselves, they can't see that it could be hurtful or harmful to them, they can see that it would be hurtful or harmful to a younger child or a younger person. So for you parents out there that have kids that are asking for it, do not shut it down. Do not say no. Just say, let's talk about it. Start a conversation much like partners would when they're trying to discuss something that's important. But regardless if your kids are on social media or if they are wanting to get on social media, talking to your kids and telling them that you are going to be accountable and that you want to partner with them. Back to what I was saying before, if you want to be a better example to your kids, show some accountability yourself. Tell your kids, say, hey, I know I've been asking you about your screen time. Let's make a deal. I have to keep my screen time under this amount. And if I go over that amount, then you're allowed that amount of time extra this week on your screen time. That's right. These deals are performance based. So what a lot of parents I work with, they'll do is let's say if their kid's allowed uh, two hours of screen time or two hours on a, on, on a social media app, then the parent will pull up a social media app that they feel that they need to cut their time down on. And let's say the parent went over 30 minutes on the time that they agreed. So the parent says, I can't do more than an hour on this app. The teenager can't do more than an hour on their app. At the end of the week, they look at it. If they went over, let's say a total of 30, 40 minutes for that week, I'm referring to the parent. If the parent went over that week, then that 30 or 40 minutes can be allotted to the teenager. And the reason why I like to do this is because it makes parents put skin in the game. How are you supposed to tell them, hey, listen, this could be harmful for your brain, but not harmful for mine and expect them to take you seriously. Now, for those of you out there that don't have problems with social media, it doesn't mean that you should not take a partnership approach. Your partnership approach could be with something else. I've had a lot of teenagers say, hey, I'm worried about my parent in these different categories. And then I go to the parent and say, hey, with all due respect, your kid's worried about your health. One specific case with a client of mine, the parent had some heart issues. The child saw their dad lose about 100 pounds 
get his cholesterol level down, work all these things and get better in these areas and then put all the weight on even more so, came back from the doctor, heard their parents talking about how bad of a risk he was for a heart attack and the child sitting there going or the teenager sitting there looking at him saying, dad, like, like I'm worried about you dying. I have a solid, real worry that doctors and moms worried about you as well. Then the parent says, well, it's okay. I'll figure it out. I'll deal with it. Then the teenager says, gosh, you know what, dad? You sound a lot like me when you tell me you're worried about me on social media. You're worried about my grades. You're worried about my mental health. Well, long story short, they made an agreement. The dad every single week was going to take his medication, was going to have accountability, something that they can measure. And then the teenager agreed, dad, if you're willing to do this, I'm willing to keep my social media usage under a certain limit. Now, if you want to know more about how to do that, you can sign up for my parenting partnership, but I don't want to plug that right now, even though I just did. Check that out. We'll leave a link in the bio. It helps parents to get those type of agreements. But I'm just trying to tell you how you can talk like a partner so that you can be an example and model for your kids the behavior you would like them to have with you or you'd like them to manifest. So to sum everything up, dopamine is in your body. It's going to be produced when you're thrill-seeking or you're going after something. The phone scrolling is not a thrill. You will struggle with your mental and emotional well-being if it gets out of hand. Your kids will struggle with their mental and emotional well-being if their social media gets social media use gets out of hand. In order to get through these challenges with your kids, I do not want you to sacrifice the relationship by being some hard A, by some authoritarian that takes their phone away. I don't mean to scare you with this information, but here in the state of Utah where I currently reside, there is a study that was done about suicides that took place in 2017 to 2018. And during that year, they found a common connection that many of the suicides that took place, I wish I could quote it exactly, don't quote me on this, but it was somewhere around 27%. The parents had taken the cell phone away from their kids, like drastically, just taken away. One of those situations like, I'm taking your cell phone away. And the teenager says, well, when do I get it back? And the parent says, well, when I feel like giving it back. In that timeline, that's when their kid took their life. Now, does that mean that was the sole reason why they took their life? No, but I think there is a correlation and a connection that can be made there. So I do not want you to go full you know, authoritarian mode because not only is it gonna be bad for the relationship, it could cause more stress and trauma at that particular time. You should have a plan, and I tell you what, the best plans and the best uh, systems and best approaches are created through partners. The greatest ideas, the, the mother of all invention, right, is necessity. Well, I heard a long time ago from a TED Talk, a gentleman that said that connection creates the best innovation. If you have a better relationship and you can talk to your kids about the concerns you have with social media and be willing to use your own concerns, your own flaws, your own shortcomings, and be willing to sacrifice some of those to show them that you're willing to take some personal sacrifices and have some struggles yourself, then you have a higher probability of having a better connection with your child. And if you have a better connection with your child, they're more likely to be open and honest if they do have these struggles and they'll be able to see that if some of their mental and emotional struggles or if some of their mental and emotional struggles are connected to their social media use. 
Well, you guys, thank you again for visiting us here at Light the Fight. If you're not a follower of Light the Fight on Instagram, please do. As I said earlier in the podcast, go subscribe to us on YouTube. And also, we want to thank our sponsors, 1-800-CONTACTS, because without them, we wouldn't have been able to do a lot of the cool stuff and have a lot of the cool equipment and gear that we have here. And also our other sponsor, Lingo Eyewear. If you need great sunglasses, prescription sunglasses, or just regular sunglasses, but you want to look really good and have some great options for fashion, and you don't want to go into store to get fitted because I had to get fitted a couple times at a couple different stores, but when I went to Lingo Eyewear, they got me fitted, and I don't just mean fitted right, but fitted looking right as well. Well, you can go to Lingo Eyewear at www.liingo.com backslash light the fight. Use the code word light the fight and you will receive $30 off your first pair of sunglasses. So until next time, you guys, thank you for helping us to light the fight. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.